today um, I want to continue on with, the, with um, loving our neighbor. Last week we saw loving our new neighbor with uh, Peter. So I'm hoping today that we can continue on. Continue on with that theme. So it was a number of years ago that I, I went out to uh, Penticton on my sweet 1983 Honda Shadow. Shaft drive. It's looking good, feeling good, and Kai wanted to join me on the way back. We took the 97 connector, which I never do, but we took the 97 connectors, which would connect to Merritt, the Coca Hall, and all that stuff. And as I started going up this hill, this unforgiving hill, all of a sudden my, my sweet motorbike starts puffing white smoke. And this white smoke continues until it's a big cloud, and I have absolutely no power, and I guess I blew my engine. I don't know what's going on. So there I am. It's boiling hot on the side of the hill. And I have a flight to catch very early in the morning to go to Edmonton, actually. So now my, I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do here? So here I am. I got hair kind of like this, but it's worse even. I'm dressed in leathers and I'm sticking out my thumb. I have helmet head. And weirdly enough, nobody's pulling over to help. <laughs> so then I thought, what am I supposed to do here? So finally, I went back more toward the ditch. And then I put my cute little boy out and he put his cute little thumb out and somebody stopped it was awesome <laughs> and then i oh you know <laughs> well anyway this guy that pulled over it was pretty cool he had this little quarter ton jumped in the truck with him and he was actually on his way back to peachland so he was going the opposite way but whatever like i beggars can't be choosers so he brought me back to a place where i could actually at least use a phone and all that stuff he was on his way to see his girlfriend so we got into a conversation, and then Kai just squeezed into the back seat of this little truck and started finding and reading Archie comics. That's one of his favorite pastimes when he was that age. So he was reading back there, and I was in conversation with this driver, just chatting about all things short and small. And then he went on to say that he had a girlfriend. I said, oh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's cool. So where do you live? And he said, well, he used to live in Merritt, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes on to say, yeah, like I, I was married, but it all fell apart, and now I have this... Uh, this girlfriend, and I, we're hoping that things will work out. And he goes on to talk, and I just said, so are you sure that uh, this relationship that you have in, have you done any kind of homework to make sure that whatever went wrong or went awry or aside with your marriage, that maybe you work on that stuff so you can bring more, a bit more healthy perspective into this one? He goes, oh, you ask really good questions. And then my kid, yeah, my dad's a pastor. <laughs> he looks back down. It was awesome. This guy actually ended up, uh, he was going to one of our free churches. So it was amazing. I really needed this good Samaritan. I really did. But I guess what I'm trying to point out is who needed who? Or did we need each other? And was it all in the name of Christ? So there I, I needed him. I really did. But then on the way back, we got into this great conversation, a thoughtful conversation about relationships and about his relationship with Christ. And it made me think, this, and I'll explain this in a moment. The indicative and the imperative collide in the heavenies and create an opportunity for God appointments. What is he talking about? The indicative and the imperative collide in the heavenlies and create an opportunity for God appointments. Let me define. Indicative. So we're talking grammar here. We're talking uh, in the Greek. Indicative, when it's used, is the mood in which the action of the verb or the state of being it describes is presented by the writer as real. It's the mood of assertion where the writer portrays something as actual as opposed to possible or contingent. 
depending on context, the writer may or may not believe the action is real, but is presenting it. It's real. The imperative, on the other hand, is the mood that normally expresses a command, intention and exhortation or polite request. The imperative mood is therefore not an expression of reality, but possibility and volition. It's you make up your mind, you do it. Okay, so in the indicative, the mood, verb, state, describes, presented by the writer, it's real. In the imperative, it's a command, do it. So what I've kind of said from these two stories is the indicative and the imperative collide in the heavenlies and create an opportunity for God appointments. Heavenly Father, help us to see this in Scripture today because I think you're doing something among us and I think you want to do things among us and what's even cooler is you want to use us. You want us to be the Good Samaritan and you actually want us to sometimes be helped by the Good Samaritan. And all of this, these, all of these imperatives actually come from the indicative that you love us and we love you. Now we do. When we understand, Lord, how much we are loved and how much you have pursued us, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, we sit and we saturate and we enjoy this position of being loved by the Almighty God and loving you back. And then you said, excellent, now do. So, Heavenly Father, in the heavenlies, like I've said, the, these two kind of verbs collide. Our position in Christ, our being loved, and now when they collide with the imperative, we go out there and we love others that we don't really even like sometimes. So give us a picture of that and help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, with those two definitions in mind, you can turn to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to Look at the Good Samaritan passage. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse, I think it's 25. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and, and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a lawyer, so a teacher of the law, somebody that knows the Pentateuch. So the first five books of the Bible. He knows them very well. Might even have them memorized. And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? He answered, Well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered correctly. Using the imperative, he says, Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, Well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. They stripped him and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, 
take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he replied, well, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, again, using an imperative, go and do the same. I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to keep going. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, Lord, don't you even care? My sister has left me doing all the serving alone. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, and Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So if you can wrap your head around this passage, it is so juicy. And and to be honest, I've never really paid attention that verse 38 is right after verse 37. I never looked at that in context of the same same passage before, nor in the same kind of sermon. Because here, up to verse 37, he's saying, do, do, do. And then all of a sudden, Mary says, okay, I'm doing. Get Mary to do. And then Jesus says, no, you got it all wrong. So I'm going, what? You just told everybody to do, and now you're saying don't do. That's why I've kind of entitled this one messy, what did I call it anyway? What does it say in your bulletin? Messy service? Thank you. Messy service. Even Sandra was going, really? You want to call it that? Yeah, just leave it. I have to work to keep my own title in there. Messy service. So when you think back to the passage and what's happening here, obviously we have a teacher of the law who knows the law, And it's interesting because Jesus nails it as he speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Dr. Luke here. And when he writes, he says, and wanting to justify himself, asks these questions. So we know right off the bat where the lawyer's heart was. And keep that in mind because it's very important. It has everything to do with the Samaritan. It has everything to do with Mary and Martha. So all of a sudden, Jesus comes with this messy story and talks about somebody that's going along the Jericho Road, and this guy should have known better. Who in the world goes down the Jericho Road? You know better than that. If you're going to go down the Jericho Road, make sure you do it in broad daylight. Have some good friends with you. Make sure you leave your phone number and everything else with somebody else so that everybody knows where you are just in case something goes wrong. This place has a reputation for thugs that hide among the rocks and the crags everywhere else. And when you're least expecting it, all of a sudden they jump you. Here this guy probably got what he deserved. That's probably the thought behind this whole thing. But thank God a priest came because priests, you know, are sharp folks. These pastors, you can always trust them 100%. Just kidding for those of you listening on the tape. Um, So the the pastor or the priest sees what's going on and he actually even doesn't get involved to the point of really studying the situation he just sees this and he goes wow what a guy can't believe it and he goes to the other side of the road because he's got a meeting to get to he's probably got a board meeting and talk about church building or the color of the paint or something like that so it's very important that he gets going you know god bless you and he keeps going 
But then, thankfully, he didn't stop, but then we had a Levite, and a Levite is something that's also very spiritual and is very involved in service of the temple. So this guy, for sure, is somebody that's very committed in church. He might be a board member, he might be a Sunday school teacher, might be the youth pastor, I don't know. But thank God he's coming, but he's the same way, and he sees an opportunity to get involved, but he goes, no chance. I have no idea what this guy's been, who he is, what he's been involved in. What was he doing at this time? In fact, if he's all bloody, I might even get AIDS. I don't know. Gross. So he moves to the other side of the road too. And then we see a Samaritan come. And the Samaritan comes and without even a shadow of doubt, he gets involved kind of like Eugene did on this video that we just presented. And he jumps out and maybe he's on adrenaline too. I don't know. But it sounds like he bandaged up the guy. He didn't care how bloody he was, how beat up he was. He didn't think about why he was here at this time, this hour, whatever. And there's a good chance that he ripped off some of his own clothes. I don't know. But he may have ripped off some of his own clothes to bandage him up. And then he put him on his beast, on his donkey or something like that, brought him back to town, and then commissioned, stayed with him for a while, and then commissioned the innkeeper to take good care of him, gave him some money, and then said, I'll be back. So if all of a sudden this is worse than I thought and it takes longer, I give you my word that I'll be back and I'll pay any debt that belongs to the nursing of this man. You've all heard this story. This is a fantastic story. This is a beautiful story. This is the indicative and the imperative that I'm talking about. This is in the heavenlies when these two collide and all of a sudden there's lightning strike of what we see being loved by God, loving him back, and showing itself into doing, being, and serving. The lawyer responds with the summary of the law as to his answer to Jesus. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells him that he has answered correctly. That's That's right. That's right. And if he does this, he will live and he will inherit eternal life. Verse 28. But the lawyer has a problem. And that problem is sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And although he knows all the correct answers and can even correctly quote the law and all the purposes of God for salvation, he cannot inherit eternal life through this understanding because his hope is not found upon, uh, sorry, because his hope is not found upon the law, but eternal life is found in Christ alone. So let me say that again. Because his hope was found upon the law, but we know that eternal life is found in Christ alone. One commentator says, with this lawyer, his, the problem is he lacks humility and he lacks a contrite heart. He lacks brokenness before God's law. The lawyer ought to love God and neighbor as himself, but he cannot and he does not, yet he does not realize this. And at worst, at this point, he's actually rejecting Jesus, who is the only one who can keep the law of the Lord. I want to throw this out and stress this and underline it and highlight it. He says, the lawyer knows the right answer. He knows that you got to love God. He knows that you got to love neighbor. But in his context, it's just like my neighbor. That means another Jewish guy or an alien living within my Jewish community. Don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. But what I like here is the lawyer 
lacks a humility and a brokenness, and he ought to love God and the neighbor himself, but he can't. He can't. Why can't he? I think we underestimate this. Because I want you to think. There are people probably in your life that you don't like at all. There's maybe even people groups in your like in, in your life that you can't stand. And you might come here every week and you might read your Bible. You might get the daily bread. But you just really hope that they don't come across your path or they don't cut you off in traffic. This is messy. And you know what? We started this whole conversation on love is, is that it is huge and it's the Christian way of loving is when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your nature is changed. You have a new nature. You are actually called to the impossible. So he's calling us because of the indicative we are loved of God, loved by God, and we love him. Now he calls us now love your neighbor that you can't stand. I like loving the people that love me back. Like if I love you, then all of a sudden next week you buy me or you bring me lasagna. I like that. You know, I can love you. We're going to have a good love relationship here, right? But here he is getting so messy in what he's calling this guy to. So the summary, the summary of the law of God has always been love of God and love your neighbor. Israel was given the law so that she might know what loving God and the neighbor looks like and be a witness to the unbelieving world. To love God with our whole being, so our soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves is the summary of the law of God. But because of sin, the nation of Israel could not do this and live. See, we saw that in our passage today, do this and live. He says to the lawyer, do this and live. He said to Israel way back in Leviticus, do this and have life. But Israel, because of sin, could not do this and live. Some of us struggle to love a lot of folks. We obviously don't mind or don't find it natural to love those who seem to hate God and hate us. There's people out there that hate God and they hate Christians. And you think you're all stupid and you're all just short a couple bricks because really you have that kind of faith. They can't stand you. They can't stand me. We even struggle to love those with differing opinions. Oh, they get on my nerves. I don't really love them. Or some of us even struggle to love other Christians when we have different opinions. The Free Church of Canada actually uses this phrase a ton, and I really like it. In essentials, unity. So this is the stuff that I'm going to die for. Pin me up against the wall, firing squad, I'm going to die for this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that you know, he died on the cross for my sins the deity of Christ, all that stuff. I'm going to die for that stuff. So in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, in non-essentials, charity. Be kind. Be nice. Love each other. But in all things, Jesus Christ. 
Let me say that again. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. And in all things, Jesus Christ. I like that. But that's hard to do. That's hard to do. There are some things that Ron would grab and he says, this is an essential. And I go, I don't see it as essential. And all of a sudden, we don't like each other. There's some things that Chris would have, this is an essential. And we look through the scripture, no, I think it's important and I know you love it. But I think it's more personal taste. But yet we don't get along because he thinks it's essential or I think it's essential. You know what I'm saying? So we take things that we love a lot that are very important to us, but when you go through scripture, it is not cut and dried, but yet we make it cut and dried and we don't get along with each other. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, and in all things, Jesus Christ. I want to quote somebody here. Going back to the Old Testament, he says, the sacrificial blood of the substitutionary animals was to cover or atone for Israel's sins as types that pointed forward to the finished work of the Messiah Christ, who would one day come in the fullness of the times. In the book of Leviticus, we see God is law and God is grace, both. We see God is law and God is grace revealed in the sacrificial offerings that God required of his people. Jesus is actually quoting from Leviticus 18.5 when it comes to do this and live which is the law of Moses revealed in the context of God's substitutionary grace found in the sacrifices. The book of Leviticus is on how to be saved by blood, essentially, which implies clearly God is grace. So he gives us this huge law, and we're going, ah! But then he says, and this is how you atone for all those times where you fall short of this. So he sets up the law here, and he says, I know you'll fall short do this and thank God he came up with even a way better system in that he sent Jesus Christ and when we lead into Christ when we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ he fulfills the law so this is incredible stuff even in the Old Testament we see the grace of God by providing a system that would pay for our shortcomings and our sin and now through Jesus Christ we get to have the same beautiful privilege. And now it's even more clear because in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to, and now we look back to, and we live in the presence of Jesus. The law was given so that men would be broken before it and utterly depend upon God's grace, his mercy, compassion, that they would hope only in him. You know, the Old Testament, it's pretty classic because we laugh at them, but I think we're the same in that you read the law. So they read the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I can do that. You know, I, I, I can love, I can honor my mom and dad. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't covet your neighbors, this, this, and that. Yeah, I think I'm good. And they're missing the point because now they're starting to define, well, what does it mean to work on a Sabbath? You better count your steps because that's working and that's, you've sin, you sinned. That was 16 steps instead of 15. Right? So this is crazy how much of the law they interpreted and became impossible. They're missing the point. The law was there and you're supposed to take a good look at the law and go, oh my goodness, I can't do this. Bingo. That's why we need a sacrifice. That's why we need Jesus. And if you think you've kept the whole law, we know from the Beatitudes, you know, Jesus messes with everything and just says, 
You know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you the truth, even if you look lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery. Mm. Now we're all hooped because he's looking at the heart. We need a savior. The law was set up not for us to make a whole bunch of rules, but for us to go, I can't do it. And Jesus steps in. Jesus steps in. Israel was told, do this and live, not because they could, but so that they would realize that they could not. Israel was commanded to love God and neighbor, not because they could, but so that they would realize that they could not. We love God and neighbor just because he first loved us. It is all from his grace and his strength that we're enabled in Christ to do. One preacher named Biggs says, ought never implies can. I like that. Ought never implies can. So we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. Doesn't mean I can. Make sense? I ought to. I'm supposed to. But I can't. Unless it's by the strength and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Calling us to something that is Christian love, that is out of this world. Although Jesus gives to the lawyer a list of rules to perform love, uh, the lawyer still is not broken before him in humility and repentance. He desires to justify himself. That is, he desires to make himself righteous before God and man through his own works. Folks, the lawyer's asking the wrong question. He's asking the wrong question. What was his question? Anybody? Who? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? He's asking the wrong question. When Jada was two, my little girl, Jada was two, she's down on the beach and having a good time or whatever. Jody's there with the other kids around. And beach and kids don't mix. They pick up sand and they whip it at other kids and all that stuff. So she's grabbing and she starts throwing. And it's just like, Jada, Jada, stops. Jada, don't throw sand. And you know she wants, Jada, if you throw sand again, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to have a timeout. Okay, it's all very clear, eyeballs, bending down, everything's perfect, great parenting. Um, she goes on to have a chat, all of a sudden, and there's sand. Jada, what did mommy just say? Mommy, you said, don't throw sand. Yes, and what did you just do? I tossed it. At two years old, all right? That's kind of what we do. That's what the lawyer's doing here. So, who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself apart from Jesus Christ. He wanted to do the possible, not the impossible. So the question the lawyer asks concerning identifying his neighbor is not so that he can go and show proper love to somebody. Perhaps he was... Uh, perhaps he has not shown love to. Rather, he's trying to seek to find out from Jesus who he does not have to love. So he's asking, Jesus, who am I obligated to love? Which reveals his heart. Do you see the difference there? Who, am I, who do I have to love? Yeah, who do I have? So it's not asking, who can I love? I want to know, really, how do I show this love? He's not coming like that. He's not coming like a puppy that wants to please his master at all. This, it's more like asking, 
So Jesus, what can I get away with? Who do I have to love in order to escape the fires of hell and guarantee my spot in heaven? That's what he wants. To get away with it. To just, just do, you know what? Maybe in work, you've been like that. You may, might work at a place where you hang out with an employee that only does just enough. It's the worst hanging out with people like that, that aren't intentional, that aren't buying into the values of the organization, right? Well, the same thing here is this guy is taking the word of God, which is so precious, and he's saying, okay, so what exactly do I have to do? Uh, Throw or toss? Hmm. Neighbor as an alien in uh, Israel or what? Seriously? Love them too? So somebody pointed out the history of Israel versus Samaria. And this is what they said. There's a long history of Jewish-Samaritan antagonism. In fact, Samaritans were particularly hostile to Jews who traveled through their lands in order to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. During the time of the rebuilding of the second temple after the Jews returned from exile, the Samaritans were not allowed to help in the building under Ezra and Nehemiah. And so the Samaritans hatefully tried to hinder the work being done. Number three, the Samaritans decided to build a rival temple and a different priesthood to worship at Mount Gerizim, John chapter 4. The hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans was particularly heated and bitter during Jesus' time. Professor Daryl Bach writes, by choosing the Samaritan as a model of compassion and love, Jesus shows that neighbors may be found anywhere among any racial group, even in those groups despised by the Jewish leadership. Number five, the rabbis of Jesus' day said, let no man eat the bread of the Kuthites, or those Samaritans, For he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. It sounds like they don't really like each other. So he is using an absolute messy example. And in verses 31 to 32, they came, they saw, and they passed by. The priest came, he saw, he passed by. The Levite came, he saw, and he passed by. And it kind of reminds me of Psalm Uh, Chapter 1, almost the opposite of it, where somebody is walking by sin or temptation and finally stands and finally sits and makes up his mind. It's almost the opposite of that, where these guys don't want to get involved in showing Christ's compassion and love to somebody that needs it. Your neighbor is everybody that God puts in your path. Your neighbor is everybody that God puts in your path. So some of us love to preach to each other the sovereignty of the Lord. Well, what if in his sovereignty he puts somebody across your path, a people group or a person that drives you crazy? Then you have to somehow explain yourself out of the sovereignty of God. Your neighbor is everybody that puts... God puts in your path sovereignty that God is in control and he sets up opportunities is easy to talk about and trust when it's not loving somebody that you can't stand. What if that guy on the 97C, the connector, like I put out my thumb and all of a sudden it's it's some guy that I couldn't stand. Like, oh shoot, move along, no thanks, you know? What if that would have happened? But in that connection, what I'm saying is it was incredible because God had an appointment for the guy that picked me up, and he also had an appointment for me, and I think he had an appointment for my son. It was really cool how it all came together. The Samaritan showed compassion. He bound up his wounds in verse 34, 
perhaps using some of his own clothes. He poured out wine and oil to soothe his wounds, disinfect the wounds with wine. He carried him on his own animal, which means that he had to walk. He gave him money, and then he said, I'll pay the rest if there's more. Again, uh, Professor Bach says that he, the amount of money would, uh, to ensure his continual care, room and board of the man, that money that he spent and gave the innkeeper would have probably took care of the guy for about 24 days in that time. That's a lot of dough. You know, if we're looking at a hotel these days, that's you know, whatever, 130 bucks a night. A little quick calculation, 24 days, yeah, that's rough. We see that the Samaritan was on a trip, right? Is that what it says? He was on a journey. I don't know about you, but when I'm on a journey, I want to get there. In fact, the other day, I was driving down the road, and there was a car broke down. And even if I wanted to ignore it, my little girl says, Oh, Daddy, there's a car there. We should probably stop because you always stop. And I slowed down, and then I saw they had some help. But it's kind of cool because those little eyeballs are watching me. Right? So this whole Good Samaritan thing has huge ramifications. Huge ramifications. We see the Samaritan was on a path to reach a specific destination. He was providentially, yet perhaps inconveniently to him, sidetracked in order to serve his neighbor. The, The help the Samaritan gave to the man was not convenient. He served the man and saved his life through a great deal of inconvenience to himself. So Jesus nails it and lights a fire under there and our bottoms to get out and serve in the name of Christ. But then he adds the next passage. And this is where we get to Mary and Martha. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him to their home. And she had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, just listening and just sucking it up. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. So here again, we see this messiness and we're going, well, Jesus, I thought we got the first part down pat and now it looks like you're saying the opposite. Martha seems to be doing, she seems to be having the doing thing down pat and Mary's just sitting around. Or is she? Remember what we said at the beginning, the indicative and the imperative collide in the heavenlies and create an opportunity for God appointments. Here, Martha was doing and was annoyed that the rest of the people were doing it the way she was. She was not serving Christ with the indicative. She was not serving Christ with the heart to serve. And then she judged others for not doing the way that she thought they ought to be doing it. Mary was enjoying Jesus. Mary was soaking up the Lord Jesus Christ. She was kind of enjoying the indicative, loving and being loved by Christ. 
I'm sure Christ was hoping that Martha would get that, that she could absolutely serve, but serve out of a heart of connection, out of a heart of relationship, out of a position of being loved and loving Jesus Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, the people that cross your path. Love them as you do yourself. Heavenly Father, thanks for this messy passage that gets us thinking. I like what Pastor Ken said to me this morning, is that sometimes we forget this, Canada, BC, and White Rock, is not mine. We're ambassadors here. So there's all sorts of folks coming across our paths with different opinions, different values, different religion, different thoughts. They're coming across and walking on the same turf that I am. And I really like that reminder. This isn't mine. I'm sent here by Christ. I represent Christ. So help us, Lord, to love you and enjoy the indicative, to sit in your presence, to be loved by you and to love you back. And I know that that gets us out there doing the love, pursuing others, looking for ways to serve and looking for ways to show this kind of love to those that have not yet tasted it. Thank you. By your grace, in Jesus' name. Your love, take these words that I'm speaking